Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Formula One is heading back to Baku for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and the first sprint weekend of the year with a new rules twist. Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Amanato and this is a preview of Round 4, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Last year's race in Azerbaijan was intriguingly poised after nine laps of racing. Charles Leclerc had started from pole, but he was pipped at launch by Sergio Perez, who controlled the pace out the front. Ironically, Leclerc's strategic lifeline came on lap 9 via teammate Carlos Sainz, who suffered a hydraulic failure that left him stuck on track and triggered a virtual safety car. Leclerc dived into the pits, leaving Perez and Max Verstappen in the lead, but setting himself up for an ambitiously long one-stop strategy. Well, that was the plan anyway, had his engine not popped in a smoky failure shortly afterwards. Verstappen overcut a slow-stopping Perez to take the lead, and the Bulls cruised home in formation finish. I caught up with Matt Clayton last year to debrief what could have been on another disappointing afternoon for Ferrari. Now, if we turn our attention to the race, unfortunately, it was defined almost exclusively by a variety of Ferrari power unit failures. Mm. This decided almost every element of this Grand Prix. Very unfortunate for Ferrari. The first one was lap nine. Poor old Carlos Sainz. Feels like he can't build any momentum at all this season. He triggered a virtual safety car when his hydraulic system let go at turn four, I think it was. Uh, and that triggered Charles Leclerc to pit very early, lap nine, uh, to switch from mediums to hards. Interesting in this is two different things. One is that Ferrari jumped for that decision. They decided to pit, and not only did they decide to have him pit, I think even he decided for himself. They both made the decision roughly at the same time, and I guess it worked out for them. There was no stop disaster in the pit lane. But also that Red Bull Racing decided to pit neither driver. Now, Charles Leclerc had dropped a second at this point. Of course, he was jumped off the line by Sergio Perez. We ultimately don't know how this race was going to play out because, spoiler, of course, Charles Leclerc did not finish. Mm. But what can we speculate that this means for Ferrari? Because certainly Red Bull Racing was very confident they had the race pace to win this regardless. Do you think Ferrari perhaps thought that as well? What's interesting to me is this race was very close to not playing out for those 10 laps where it was a strategic battle the way Mm. it did because I think Red Bull probably would have called Perez in if they'd realised early enough and he was past the pit lane entry at that point. And my understanding is that Leclerc made that decision just before Ferrari told him to come in. He did the opposite to what Perez did. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if Red Bull intended to have both cars stay out, but then they were committed to doing that after Leclerc had dived into the pits and Verstappen kept going. So you you accidentally had this situation where for 10 laps there, and we'll get to why the strategy didn't play out in a minute, but for 10 laps there, we had Ferrari maybe jumping the gun a little bit because I think they realised that they were going to be vulnerable because of the straight line speed of the Red Bull through the last sector and down the uh, two-kilometre freeway start-finish straight. I think they realised that they had to do something because I think being able to pass a Red Bull on that straight, even with DRS, was going to be difficult. So I wasn't surprised that Ferrari jumped when they did. As much as it was optimistic they were going to be doing 41 laps on the hard tyre, 
I was a little bit surprised that Red Bull chose not to react even on the next lap. But uh, in the end, I guess it didn't play out. But uh, you do have to wonder whether... Look, I think we'll get to Perez in a minute, but I think Perez had kind of dug his own grave to a point because of how hard he'd got mm-hmm. in those first nine laps after he got to the lead. So I don't know strategically he was still in the game at that point. But uh, it was interesting that Ferrari ch- chose to jump so quickly, given that neither Red Bull blinked, did they? Red Bull said part of the reason they didn't pit, and yes, part of it was simply because Perez didn't have the opportunity to by the time they'd realised what was happening, was also that they just didn't have the long-run information to know if 41 laps was going to be sustainable. They were certainly very sceptical that was the case. Christian Horner was also adamant that the car just had that Sunday pace regardless. I think what's really interesting here is that we knew, to, to rewind a little bit, before the Spanish Grand Prix that Ferrari had a little bit of a Sunday problem. Very quick on Saturday, race pace, tyre degradation in particular was not optimal compared to Red Bull Racing. They reckon it's fixed, but we don't really know, do we? Because we haven't, we just don't have enough race information based on that. And do you suspect having seen at least Max Verstappen's side of this equation, having seen how well he executed this race, admittedly, with no pressure, mm. that maybe Red Bull still does have a little bit more in reserve on Sunday. Look, particularly in a situation like Baku, yes. Uh, I think that particular circuit certainly played to the relative strength of that car relative to the Ferrari. So I think you know, Red Bull had them probably covered regardless in Baku. I mean, look, we don't have enough evidence, as you were saying, from previous races. Monaco is an anomaly. You can throw that one mm. out. Spain, we never really got to see how that race was going to play out. But... On a Sunday, the Rebel is clearly the better car, but I think that margin was accentuated because of the track layout of Azerbaijan and the way those two cars are, are set up. Rebel all year has been incredibly slippery in a straight line and uh, and on the straights, and uh, there are no longer straights in Formula 1 than there is <laughs> yeah. at, uh, in Baku, is there? Exactly right. His margin at the end, Max Verstappen, was 20 seconds, which is pretty big considering second was his teammate, Sergio Perez, and Perez had been leading the race mm. early on in that first stint. That's a gap of around six-tenths of a second a lap once they switched tyres over the last 30-odd laps. The team said this was a little bit more to do with Sergio Perez having a qualifying focus in terms of his set up and obviously he was very quick in qualifying whereas red uh, whereas max verstappen had a more of a race focused setup even though he didn't quite have as much perhaps straight line advantage over perez maybe he would have thought that was the case i also thought that was interesting though was the way they treated perez with the pit stops they brought him in first uh the stop was a little bit slow i suppose that's no one's fault of course but it did mean there was no opportunity for him to strategically get ahead of max verstappen be near max verstappen in the second stint is it reading too much into that? I mean, we're talking a lot about whether or not Sergio Perez is able to to contend for race wins and all that kind of th- stuff. It was clear he didn't have the pace ultimately this weekend, but it also felt to me like he wasn't ever going to win this race roughly when we got to the pit stops. I'm assuming you've got me on this week because Jos Verstappen wasn't available for you. But, um, <laughs> look, it, look, I mean, it's, it's interesting, wasn't it? Because Perez made an incredible start and got to the front, I think a couple of things happened. It's like, ooh, he's in the lead. And he was pulling away yeah. at such a rate in those first few laps that it was pretty clear that he'd taken too much out of his tyres early. And that's not something we say with Sergio Perez. Mm. He is the tyre whisperer. He is the best at this. So he was clearly into some difficulties. He had to stop first because the pace was not there. He was complaining about breaking traction, and it clearly wasn't going to be a long first stint for him. The cynic in me wonders if the uh, slow pit stop was... uh, convenient, shall we say. They would have found another way. Look, with Ferrari out of the equation, Red Bull were clearly going to find another way to maximise the points advantage over 
the lead driver of the other team in the championship fight that was no longer in the race. That's just you know, that's just good business, quite frankly. It's just being sensible. But even regardless of that, I think the way Perez drove those first five or six laps was a guy who perhaps didn't expect to have to A, to be in the lead, B, to have the lead that he did. And it was an unusual race for him in that normally he's a little more patient than that. So mm. perhaps it forced Red Bull's hand strategically. Unfortunately for him, he got the rough end of the pineapple with the pit stops. But uh, look, I don't think he had... After those first probably six or eight laps of the race, he wasn't in Verstappen's league in terms of pace. And uh, in the end, they Verstappen did make what was effectively the race-winning pass on his teammate on lap 15, and Perez was told no fighting. But it wasn't really much of a fight from where I sat. It was almost more commentary on radio, wasn't it, than an instruction? Correct. No fighting, yeah. Now, before we look ahead to this weekend's race, I want to remind you about a new project we're working on in collaboration with Evergreen Podcasts called Pit Pass F1. Pit Pass F1 is a brand new podcast following the World Championship. Every morning from Friday to Monday of a Grand Prix weekend, you'll get a bite-sized episode in your feed filling you in on all the on- and off-track action you might have missed and what to watch out for on the day ahead. It's hosted by some of the paddock's esteemed journalists and some names you'll recognise from the strategy report as well. Julianne Serasoli, Chris Medland and Luke Smith. Plus, you'll get previews from me ahead of every weekend. Subscribe now to Pit Pass F1 to keep up with all of the action from the paddock at this weekend's Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Search for Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts. So now that we know what happened in last year's Azerbaijan Grand Prix, what should we expect this season? Baku is one of the calendar's biggest outliers, combining elements of classic tight street tracks with one of the longest straights in the sport to present a tricky setup challenge for the teams. Low downforce configuration tends to be the favoured way, with cars hitting 340 kilometres per hour and above into the first turn. But it has to be a balance. There's time to be won and lost in the twistier stuff as well. That sounds perfectly fine for Red Bull Racing, which has supreme straight-line speed. But perhaps it's bad news for the draggy Aston Martin car, which has struggled all year in the speed traps. But the weekend overall is a bit of a jump into the unknown for everyone, with F1 introducing a new sprint format this weekend that will reduce practice time to just one hour on Friday afternoon before Parc Ferme conditions lock setup later that day. Friday qualifying will set the grid for the race, but on Saturday there'll be what's being called the Sprint Shootout, a similar but shorter three-segment qualifying session to set the grid for the sprint, and it replaces second practice. The sprint is the same as it's always been, but the results won't set the starting order for Sunday. F1 hopes this will mean drivers will push more, knowing they can't ruin their Sunday grid spots, having already locked them in during Friday qualifying. Will it affect the competitive order? I'll be back next week to debrief all of the action from Azerbaijan. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast and part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Lovinato and I'll catch you next week to wrap up the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous 
business odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.